challenged bringing the world three days and 50 miles closer to a cure for multiple sclerosis. Whether walker or crew, veteran or new, join us as we share news and memories from MS Challenge Walk. Hello, and welcome to MS Challenge Talk. My name is Ken Gagney, and I'll be your host. Thanks for tuning in. This is a podcast about MS Challenge Walk, an annual event hosted by the National MS Society. There are many MS Challenge Walks throughout the country, with this show focusing on the walk held on Cape Cod every September by the Greater New England Chapter. The walk invites anyone whose lives have been touched by multiple sclerosis to walk three days and 50 miles to raise money for and awareness of MS. So why this show? Well, my favorite part of the MS Challenge Walk weekend is the Saturday night candlelight ceremony when tired but inspired walkers, crew, family, and friends come together as a community to share their stories. Those stories from people with MS, relatives with MS, and co-workers with MS, and more, remind us why we do this walk. Everyone has a story, and I want to hear them. On this podcast, you'll get to hear them too. Each week, I'll interview a different walker or volunteer who has participated in MS Challenge Walk to ask them what brought them to the cause and what keeps them walking. We'll also hear about their experiences and strategies with fundraising, training, and team building. Walking 50 miles and raising thousands of dollars is no easy feat, so whether you're tackling this walk for the first time or the tenth, you should pick up some tricks from the pros. A bit about me. I walked my first MS Challenge walk in 2005, 15 years after my mom was diagnosed with MS. I walked for three years on Gordon's team, to whom I'm eternally grateful for welcoming me into their fold that first year and every year since. Since 2008, I've been captain of the Mischief Makers, a team that usually consists of just me riding bicycle support, offering water, candy, and encouragement to walkers on the route. I'm also on the walk's volunteer steering committee, helping with event planning and walker recruitment. I'm encouraged that MS is under attack from such a large and supportive community, and I look forward to this show bringing us a bit closer. Before I launch into this week's interview, I'll be calling Danielle Kemp, the National MS Society Greater New England Chapter's Development Coordinator, responsible for the MS Challenge Walk. Then I'll launch right into the Walker interview, followed by a look at what training and fundraising events are coming up. Ready? Here we go. Hi, this is Danielle Kent from the National MS Society Greater New England Chapter. Hi, Danielle. This is Ken. Thanks for calling me, Ken. Looking forward to doing this chat today. <laughs> so how are you today? I'm doing great. Getting really geared up for the challenge walk. I'm looking forward to that. Yes, today is May 7th. It's a Monday, and the MS Challenge Walk kicks off officially four months from today. So that's, uh, depending on your point of view, either a long time or a very short time. I think it'll pass very quickly. Um, now how is the challenge walk shaping up? What sorts of behind-the-scenes activities can you let us in on that you're working on at this time of year? Well, we're really looking forward to having um, an exciting time this year. Our themes, music, and dance. So I'm not going to give the exact secrets about what is going on there. But with that theme, you can imagine there'll be some fun stuff planned under the tent this year. Um, and we're also gearing up really helping our participants with their fundraising at this time. Our teams on the steering committee have tried a um, slight mentoring program of their calling new walkers and people that have asked for help with their fundraising to mentor them on what's worked for uh, the veteran participants for fundraising and really encourage the new team members of what they can do. Uh, because we know it's scary to have the $1,500 minimum. You know, for some people that haven't fundraised, that seems like a lot. But if you get out there and do it and have people coaching you along the way, we hope that'll help a lot. And if somebody listening to this podcast feels they need some of that mentoring, how would they go about asking for that? 
Sure. If you contact me, uh, my email address is on the Challenge Walk website, or uh, contact any of our steering committee members. We'd love to help you out. So should it, walkers have already gotten their fundraising letters out? We'd love our walkers to have done that, yeah. If you haven't started it yet, that's okay. You can still get it done. You know, Jump on it right away to get those out because you need to have enough time for people to respond back to you with donations. And I have some walkers that that's all they do for their fundraising, and they raise the minimum just with the letters. So please get those out. And we also have some great fundraising events coming up for people who prefer to do their fundraising that way. I'm sure it's easier to get out and do fundraisers like yard sales and the like when we have warm weather, which we haven't had much of lately. Yeah. Um, there are some that it's warm weather. There are some that are inside. Like I know some people are doing uh, raffles inside for different things. We have concerts coming up. There's all sorts of unique ways to fundraise. But don't forget about the importance of letters. You know, those really do help to get those donations coming in to begin with and build your momentum. And do you recommend postal letters or using the participant center to send emails? Personally, I've done my fundraising in the past for WalkMS events using the participant center. I enjoy that because you can see who's opened your letter, who's gone to your website. If they've made a donation, you get emailed right away, and you get reminders in that participant center of it's time to send a reminder email. So-and-so hasn't responded, but they donated in the past. But I have other challenge walkers who swear by the postal letters. Most of them include a self-addressed stamped envelope with the letters, so that way they get the donations back right away. Mm -hmm. Whatever you think would work for your audience best, you really know whether the people you're asking are checking their email all the time or if they're going to be more receptive to a letter. A mix of both may be the right way for you. One nice thing about the postal route is that I know the postal office could certainly use the business. <laughs> That's true. Now, what about training? I mean, if when it's so cold out, are we really expecting people to be out in the cold slogging along? You know, it's tough to be training in the cold, but at least we're not doing the marathon. Most of those people are training all through the winter. Um, We really want you to be getting out there um, just so you're not caught off guard at the challenge walk. As the veterans know, if you didn't train and you get there, you are sore right away, and we don't want that. So it doesn't have to be that you're walking the full 50 miles at this point, but get out there and be doing some walking every day to work your way up to being ready for the challenge. Great. Well, thanks for your time, Danielle. I look forward to speaking to you every week. I think this is a good kickoff for the Challenge Walk walking and training and fundraising season. Well, I'm excited as well. Thank you for putting this together, and I can't wait to hear the interviews you've put together with our veteran walkers. (laughs) Me neither. (laughs) Great. Thanks, Danielle. Of course. My guest this week is the many-year veteran of the MS Challenge Walk, Susan Cohn-Child. Hi, Susan. Hey, Ken. How you doing? Fine, thanks. How are you? Okay. Now, how long have you been doing the MS Challenge Walk? Since it started. I've been there every year that it's been held on Cape Cod, and it's been an amazing experience. So you've been there since the beginning in 2002. How did you first hear about the walk? Gosh, the first time I heard about the walk, I saw a pamphlet somewhere, and I picked it up, and I thought, I could never do this. <laughs> and and that's how it began. And then I roped a lovely friend into doing the walk with me, and then I volunteered to speak at the opening ceremony, and we were sucked in. It was wonderful. <laughs> now, the opening ceremony, that's different from the candlelight ceremony? That is. That's the very first day of the walk um, where we all gather, depending on what year it is, the past many years since that first year, it's been on the Green and Hyannis. 
early in the morning and um, everyone gets together and we get to meet kind of the key players and we get to warm up and there's usually a speaker getting us, or there was at the time, I think it's a little bit shorter now, um, where everyone gets to just hear about the start of the day and get worked up. And that first year I was asked to speak. And so I basically told about my story with MS and why I was at the challenge walk and why I was so happy to see so many other people who were there. And what is your story with MS, in a nutshell? In a nutshell, I was diagnosed um, the year I turned 30. Not exactly the present I was looking for. I was thinking nice earrings, but, you know, you get what you get. Um, <laughs> and I really, like many people, I'm sure, was shocked and had a lot of thoughts about what this would mean for my life, mm -hmm. a lot of uncertainty about what would happen in terms of my physical capabilities, and at some point during those first few months, I decided that I really wanted to be involved with the National MS Society, and I really wanted to somehow fight back. And this walk provided me one of those venues of being able to fight back against this. Now, not everybody who's diagnosed with MS is so open about it. Did it take you a while to work up the courage to participate in the walk? Not so much the walk itself. It took me a while to be able to... Um, be open about the fact that I had MS, though probably not as long as one might think. It just took me a few months before I was able to start telling a few people at work and whatnot. And at the time I was living in Washington, D.C., and I did see the shorter walks and I did start participating in those. I think what being at the Challenge Walk did for me that first year in speaking is it really put me out there. It turned out there were some people who also worked for the same employer I did who were walking, and that I did not know. And so it did really put me out there, but I think that was okay. Mm -hmm. Anyone who's going to be at that walk and is going to see me there or who's going to hear me speak there is someone who is working for the same thing I am, which is for a world free of MS. That's right. We're all on the same team when it comes to the Challenge Walk. Absolutely. Now, by the time you did your first walk, you were already out enough with your MS that you did have your own team. How did you recruit? Well, it's interesting. The first year, I didn't really have my own team. I had just a walking partner. I think that it was a. It seemed very daunting at the time. The fact that I was even able to get one of my friends to walk me I, with me, I thought was pretty monumental task. And that following year, people walked with me because they had heard me speak or they had read what I had said in my speech and they wanted to be a part of it. So I had a lot of family members, including my dad, who was in his early 70s at the time and still does the walk. And it, it was actually easier than I thought when people heard what I had to say, they wanted to be there and they wanted to make a difference. So that was good. But I think it's, you know, you have to reach out to people, too. I know that um, I've had I've tried to reach out to people and to get people to walk in once they're there. Generally, they won't leave. They'll just keep coming back every year with you. But I think the way you get people on your team is you ask and you tell them your story if they don't know it. And people are willing. It can be very hard to do that. People have a hard enough time asking for a donation of 10 or $20, asking somebody to donate three days and 50 miles is very intimidating. It is, because I think people don't always know what they're capable of, and it's scary for them to kind of put one foot in front of the other and try on two levels, I think. One is just the sheer number of miles and how many miles of training goes into that, and the other is the daunting task, of course, of fundraising. But what I've found through this process is when you let it out there. You let people know what you're fundraising for and you're pretty open about it. 
you'd be surprised how many people out there that you had no idea have some type of connection to MS. I have been astounded by how many people have said to me, oh, wow, I have a cousin or I have a parent or I have a brother-in-law. I was stunned. I, I hadn't known so many people had MS before I had it. And then now when you mention it, when you're open about it and you say you're doing the walk, you find that there are so many people out there who have someone they care about or themselves who have MS as well. You said it's as easy as putting one foot in front of the other, but of course, once you're actually doing the walk, it's much more challenging than that. Did you ever question that you'd be able to do all 50 miles, and how did you get ready for it? The first year, of course, I questioned it because I'd never done it. I'd never walked probably more than four miles at a time knowingly. I'm sure I did without realizing it, but when you're actually training and you're counting the miles, it's, it seems like it's a lot longer. <laughs> I first started training by finding a local walking group and just walking with them. And they walked every weekend during the time that I needed to in order to train. And they did many miles over time. And then I just would ask people to walk with me on the longer walks I did. I'd ask a friend to walk for half of the walk with me and I'd do half the walk alone. Or I'd find someone who really liked walking long distances and I'd get a little company or I'd just throw on my iPod. <laughs> um, and the training really, it, it takes a lot of time, but it's also nice. I mean, it's for me, it's nice to be out there. It does get boring at times, but I think that, you know, if you've got something to listen to, if you've got a person to talk to, again, even if they're not doing the whole training walk with you, if they're doing just a few miles, it really breaks things up. For me, I found that if I had someone join me for the second half of my walk, it was really helpful because the first half of the walk, you know, I could do, say I was doing 12 miles in a day. I'd do the six miles without a problem, but then I'd be like, oh gosh, you know, another six miles. Mm -hmm. And then if I knew I was meeting a friend at that six mile, it was so much easier because it would just breeze by talking to someone else. You also mentioned using your iPod. Do you have a walking playlist that you use? I do. I've created a couple of them depending on what my mood is. I have one that just has songs that have much more of an upbeat tempo than I might normally listen to, say, if I were sitting at my desk at work. Um, I happen to like show music, so I have one that's a show tune iPod list, and oh, I do that for walking as well. And I try and add a few things to it here and there by going out to different websites and seeing what other walkers, runners, or people who like to just be out there moving have on their playlist, and then I, I add to my musical repertoire. When you're listening to show tunes, do you find yourself singing along? I try not to, or people stare. Um, I I find myself humming along. I find that the words run through my head, and the walk goes much faster, both speed-wise and time-wise. It flies by if I'm listening to music I like. I know some people really like to listen to books, and some other people like to listen to podcasts. For me, I find that I really need something with a snappy tune and tempo in order to keep me going. Now, what about the fundraising aspect of the Challenge Walk? How do you approach that? I, my way of doing things has always been to send out an email and that, and I expand the list of people I send it to every year. I find that the tools on the MS Society's website now work much better than they had when I first started. So it's easy to have your list of people on there and then add to it. Every time you want to add people, it's very easy. For me, reaching out by email was the easiest thing. I try and write a personal request or, or kind of my story or whatever's going on about the MS at the time in my email that I send out. And then I found that as nervous as I was that first year, I didn't think I'd get more than a handful of responses. 
because I hate asking for money. I really, really hate asking for money. I think I'm we probably, all do, yes. I don't think I'm unusual in that respect. And especially since I do have MS, I feel sometimes like it, it will appear that I'm asking for something for myself. And I am. But I'm also asking for the many people I know who are impacted by this disease. And when I remember that, when I remember I'm not just asking for me, I'm asking for so many people that I now know who have this disease, that it makes it much easier. And what I found that first year was all of a sudden I was getting donations right and left. And I surpassed the $1,500 minimum easily and quickly. And I was stunned. But I will say that every year I am nervous. Every year I wonder, will this be the year I don't make it? And without fail, every year I've gone beyond that 1500 And it's not that I have, sometimes I have donors that are large, but not, I'm not talking $1,000 or a couple of thousand dollars. But what I find I have is a lot of people willing to give a little bit, whether it's you know $10 sometimes or $25. or But all the people I reach out to, if they each give a little, it has impact and it makes a difference. Yeah, I think a lot of people devalue their ability to make a difference, but all those small donations, they really add up. They really add up. And and I think also thinking a little bit outside the box. I know you and I have talked about this at some point, Ken, but the year that the final Harry Potter book came out, one of my children wrote to the author, J.K. Rowling, and wrote her a letter asking her if she would speak at the opening ceremonies for the MS Challenge Walk that year. And he said that his mom, like her mom, has MS and that he used to, at that time, ran a lemonade stand along the walk. And would she would she like to be there and speak? And P.S. I love your books. And about three weeks after he sent that letter, we had a package from J.K. Rowling on our doorstep with a couple of books, one with a lovely note written to him, one for him to auction off and raise money for the MS Society for the Challenge Walk, and then a really nice letter on an owl stationery that she had written to him. And with that book, we were able to sell raffle tickets and we raised the $1,500 in one night. And we, we raised our regular way too. We sent the emails and whatnot. But he did something he never thought he'd get a response to by writing that letter. And he got an amazing response. And not only that, there were articles in newspapers and there were radio interviews and there were things on TV about this, which raised awareness about the challenge walk, raised awareness about MS, and also you know, showed people what they could do. And if an 11-year-old child could make such a big difference, they can do it too. That's a wonderful story. Has your son continued to be a part of the walk every year? Yes, actually, both of my sons. Um, my youngest son was actually a baby when I started doing this walk, and they both ran a lemonade stand at mile, I want to say, gosh, 29 or 39, I can't remember now, for a number of years, including in the pouring rain for a few years, and handed out lemonade to the walkers who at that point were ready for something other than Gatorade. <laughs> and then uh, my older son now does the walk with me. This coming year will be his third year as a walker. And he no longer says to me, ha, huh, mom, I bet you'll get a few blisters. Now he knows. <laughs> and, um, I think now has an appreciation for what I've done. And my younger son is now an uh, assistant to one of the photographers on the walk. So they're both still involved, and I expect that they'll both stay involved for the years to come. And that photographer, I understand you have a personal connection to him. 
I too have a little bit of a personal connection. My husband is one of the photographers on the route. He's a professional photographer and he gives a lot of his time to the MS Society. My family was not involved the first year that I participated because it was something I did on my own and my kids were very young and he needed to take care of them. But after that first year, um, my husband really wanted to be involved. And so my that kind of roped my parents and my sister and brother because watch the kids, although my dad walked, my mom and my siblings would watch the kids and be on Cape Cod for the walk. And then um, my dad and my husband would both be involved in the walk as well and have been ever since that second year. Now, your son has brought publicity to the walk with his fundraising with Harry Potter and your husband has via the photography. But you seem to have become quite the face for the MS Society as well. I've seen your face on pamphlets. You've been quoted in different articles. You're quite engaged in the publicity aspect. I am. You know, when I first moved to Boston about 11 or 12 years ago, I was a little nervous about how involved I wanted to be in terms of being a public face. I was pretty open with things when I lived in D.C., but I, I didn't want people to know that as the first thing about me. But with a little bit of time, I realized that any time that I had been open, whether it had been in the workplace or with an acquaintance about my MS, um, I found that someone in their life had MS and they were so grateful to see how I was doing at the time or to share a little information. At one point in work, I had someone approach me and say, I was so glad you told me you had MS because my cousin was just diagnosed and my family is freaking out. And then I was able to talk to them about you. And then I, I feel like I'm then giving information and I'm available and I'm very willing to talk to people. And I think that it feels like a good service. It feels like something that I can give back. And it makes me feel like it's cliche to say that it was this didn't happen for a reason. It happened for a reason that the researchers haven't figured out yet. And when they do, I'll be very happy to hear it. But I feel like um, with what I've been given if I can give back to other people and at least share my experience and and hope um, that I'm doing something worthwhile. Yeah, some people would say you may have MS, but MS does not have you. Exactly, exactly. I think MS has afforded me the opportunity to make some decisions I may not have made so early in my life. I may have waited till I was a little bit older to really question what was important to me in my life. And in some ways, it's a gift to be able to do that a little bit earlier. And I feel like I'm living a life and doing the things that are important to me and spending time with people who are important to me and using my time as wisely as I can, not perfectly, but with a little more thought than I may have otherwise. And part of that is being involved with the MS, the National MS Society. I'm sure we all wish that the MS walk wasn't necessary, but since it is, it's great that we have the fortitude to be a part of it and have those experiences. Can you tell me some of your favorite experiences that you've had in your 10 years on the walk? Wow. Um, very many. I guess one of one of the wonderful experiences I had was during that first walk, the first year. And there were many during that walk. But on the second day of the walk, it was very hot out. And we had been walking clearly for many miles, my friend and I, and we weren't really walking with anyone else. We both had a, a pretty quick pace and we kept passing this woman who was walking alone and then she'd pass us and pass and pass and back and forth. And finally, we just all looked at each other and said, this is ridiculous. We should be walking together. And we introduced ourselves and she does not have MS but started walking that year, and it's been back every year since, and we have walked together every year since then. 
she's become a good friend and someone I look forward to seeing every year at the walk. And what I learned also from that first year was as comfortable as I am walking fast, and I'm much more comfortable walking fast rather than slow. When I slow down over time, I walked with many more people and heard many more stories. And that's been one of my favorite things about this walk is there are people that I see there every single year and I get to catch up on their families and how they're doing. And it's really a wonderful bond. Another story would be, I'd say, about the crew. There are a couple of stories about the crew. The crew are the folks who are out there supporting the walkers. They are on motorcycles. They are on their bicycles. They are on foot. They are everywhere, and they are amazing. One of the first years, we were walking up this hill, and I saw a crew member get off of his motorcycle and doing something. And it turned out what he was doing was taking a dead animal off the road and burying it so the walkers would not have to walk by it. There were so many walkers, and he just didn't want everyone having to walk by this dead animal. And what made it seem like a small thing, it was so thoughtful, just yeah. really, really wonderful. The other, I'd say, is, is about a man called the General, who I know you know, Ken. Yes. Who whose wife has MS and is out there at every challenge walk volunteering, and he is the most spirited wonderful person out there cheering people on, challenging people to walk more. You can make it just really support. He shows up on that course the weekend. He is on in his truck. He is on his bicycle. He is on foot. He is everywhere. And he's one of those people who just lends such spirit um, to this cause, like so many others. Um, but those are the things that kind of stand out. It's all the, the people. It's just the people. Mm -hmm. My favorite memory of the general was uh, there was one year I was walking around mile 27. I, I thought I was walking alone, but all of a sudden uh, the general on his bicycle and you'll see him, in, you know, standing there or in his truck or in his bicycle. He uses all the forms of transportation. And at this point in the walk, he pulled up alongside me in his bicycle. And he's usually uh, a very outspoken man. You can hear him from a mile away, but he was very quiet to me as he said that, there are a lot of bystanders in life, and you're not one of them. Thank you for walking for my bride. Yeah, his beautiful bride. Yes. He makes me cry every year. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure he's not ashamed of that either. No, no. Yeah. He's, he's wonderful. So we'll be seeing you and the rest of your team on the walk this fall? You absolutely will. We will be there whether rain or hopefully no snow at that time of year <laughs> or shine. We will be there. Well, it is New England. You never know what you'll have. That is true. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time, Susan. It's been great talking with you. You can. Take care. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed that interview. I've had the pleasure of knowing Susan for years, and it's always a pleasure to speak with her and share the Challenge Walk route with her. A quick look at some of the fundraising and training events coming up that you're invited to. First up, we have Beer and Benevolence, a fundraising event being hosted by Cindy Striders. This is being held at Cape Can Brewing Company, a pub in Gloucester, Massachusetts, on May 8th. Any purchase you make at the pub that day, 10% will go towards Cindy Striders' fundraising. There's also going to be a variety of raffles being hosted at the restaurant that day, including a 50-50. The event is 5 p.m. to 11 p.m. on Tuesday, May 8th. Team Waka Waka Wakas are having a fundraising event at the Global Fitness Center in Tingsboro. They call it Shake Your Groove. They ask you to come exercise and work out for a $25 donation. So this is actually killing two birds with one stone. You donate to their fundraising, and you get to train for the MS Challenge Walk. That is on May 11th at the Global Fitness Center in Tingsboro. 
There is an MS Charity Poker Tournament being hosted on May 12th, a Saturday, by the Lombardi Party. They invite you to come play some poker for a $100 free registration that benefits their fundraising at the Melrose Fish and Game Club in Melrose, Mass. Full details for these events and more can be found at the Challenge Talks online event calendar at www.challengetalk.org calendar, where you can also submit details for your own event to be broadcast on this show. And that brings us to a close for our first episode of the MS Challenge Talk. I invite anyone to send some feedback to me at ken at challengetalk.org. I'm especially curious to know what sorts of questions walkers and crew have about the event. I'd like to do a weekly frequently asked questions segment on the show. Maybe have something to talk to Danielle about. Also on our website, you'll find ways to contact us via email, Facebook, Twitter, and more. Thanks again for listening. This show airs every Monday. Stay tuned until next week when we talk with another walk veteran. Until then, happy fundraising and training. This has been MS Challenge Talk. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback by visiting us on the web at www.challengetalk.org.